much am I getting paid for to be on this phone call? Nothing. Shut up. <laughs> oh, all right. So I'm no good at the whole setting rate thing. All right. All right. I use them for tracking work and invoicing clients. You can get a 30-day trial at getharvest.com. Use the offer code RR after your 30-day trial to get 50% off your first month. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode six of the Ruby Freelancer Show. Uh, this week on our panel, we have a couple of guests because Evan is at Ruby on Ales. Uh, our first guest is David Brady. Hey, this is David Brady. I am the Chief Metaphor Officer at Slide Rule Labs, and I am one half of the team trying to replace Evan. I'm filling his right shoe. <laughs> we, we also have JT Zemp. Hey, I'm JT. I'm also at Slide Rule Labs, uh, contracting software dev shop out here in the Rocky Mountains, Utah area. And um, I guess I'm, I'm filling in. I'm, in. I'm in Evan's left pocket. All right. Um, we also have Eric Davis. Hey, and Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? And I'm Charles Maxwood from teachmetocode.com. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about setting and negotiating rates or how much to charge. I've, I've heard it both ways. So How much am I getting paid for to be on this phone call? Nothing. Shut up. <laughs> oh, all right. So I'm no good at the whole setting rate thing. All right. All right. So I, I think one thing that people do, this is something that I did when I was first getting started with freelancing, was uh, I got laid off from my job, which is, I, I guess, kind of a common story. So I start going out and bidding for uh, subcontracting work that I'd heard about. And, you know, I, I bid a job at $65 an hour. And uh, yeah, you can all start laughing. But I got the bid and I figured out real fast that... Uh, you know, mainly from, from guys like Eric that I was charging way too little. So how do you avoid making that kind of a mistake? Or, you know, do you do you make that kind of mistake and then learn from it from somebody who knows better? I uh, missed a house payment. That, that's how I learned it. Ouch. I mean, I was I was full time, full time employed and could not. And, you know, in theory was making more than my salaried job. But after I was had withheld my taxes and, uh, uh, you know, taken out, you know, money for groceries and all that stuff, uh, there just wasn't enough money at the end of the month. And I, I, I just boggled the fact that uh, this was 10 years ago and I was charging $55 an hour. And uh, I, I just, I'm like, what, what am I going to do? And I, I literally doubled my price uh, to make up for it. And uh, I don't want to give away uh, the obvious thing that other other people will talk about, but I doubled my, my rate and uh, within 30 days, my clientele doubled as a result. So uh, my first suggestion to anybody listening is that if you're afraid of raising your rate, don't be. If you raise your rate and you lose clients, then maybe, you know, maybe you are at your saturation point. But uh, if you're if you're swamped with work, you need to raise your rates. Yeah, I mean, definitely market forces play into effect, you know, supply and demand, but it's also supply and demand internally. You know, I, I think the experimentation works out great. You know, as you're talking to people, you just say, yeah, my rate is X and you can gauge by their response. And, and, and also you have to kind of mark the person that you are, are negotiating with. Um, how good are they at sales? Because, you know, we all know the sales, you know, the gasp technique to kind of set expectations in a negotiation. So you, you need to know kind of where their headspace is. But if somebody ever says to you, that's a fair price, you know that you left money on the table. 
Um, and, and, and really the whole idea, and I guess we can probably sum up my, my contribution in, in, in about one sentence, you know, as, as freelancers, as providers of a service, we're exchanging something for, for something, you know, it, it's this value exchange. And so the whole point of today's conversation is to figure out what's a fair exchange of value. And so sometimes you know, when you're first getting started, obviously you're the value that you can provide, you know, maybe technically very high, but business savvy wise, not very high. And so you're going to have a credibility problem. If you, if you show up at a client's office and you pitch them, you know, 150 bucks an hour, and maybe technically you're pretty great, but communication wise, you're terrible. The customer is going to say no thanks. And they're going to hire somebody else who might not have as great of uh, technical skills, but has some better communication skills. Um, and so part of rate setting, you know, obviously is about perception, you know, uh, on, on, the, on the purchasing side, on the client side. And part of it is, is, is the whole package, you know, what we're able to deliver. And so experimentation works really great in setting rates. Um, but you've got to have some people skills in order to kind of be able to, to figure out what your market can bear and what your internal market, you know, how, how busy am I? You know, can I raise my rates? Um, so I think that those are all kind of relevant things um, in trying to figure out where your best price point is. Right. Eric? Yeah, and that's, that's a big point is, I mean, I'll, I'll tell my rates when I started. I think I said it in one of the first podcasts. I mean, I came into it with a couple years of real experience, several sites in production. You know, I knew my stuff and I was setting my rate at like $35 an hour. And if, if you guys know rates, that's like, mm -hmm. that's almost outsourcing level, like to a third world country. But that was because I had no sales confidence. I would like him and ha wouldn't know what to say. Um, I was actually scanning old paperwork and found a couple invoices that I sent to people for like $200 total for like a week's worth of work. Yeah. So yeah, it's all about confidence. It's all about like, you know, how do you feel that the, what you're actually going to build for this person is going to give them value, whether it's business value or um, sometimes it's even value for like a political management structure, if it's like a bureauc bureaucracy or a large organization. Um, and that's kind of the big thing is if you're talking to a client, you need to figure out what they value and what they put on that. You know, if they value getting something done fast, if you can deliver faster, you might be able to charge more than if you took your time on it. And so that's actually a, a short story I'm not going to get into now, but I had a client who needed a rush job and he like needed it in 48 hours and I was able to turn it around for him and got the highest rate I've ever charged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's definitely uh, a feature or, you know, a feature of, of negotiating because, yeah, it's all about delivering, right? Giving the, the customer what they want and making sure that they feel like they're getting uh, or that they're you know, reciprocating in value that, that it's worth it to them. Their ROI is high enough to where they can pay you and still, um, remain profitable. So there are a couple of tools out there that help people figure out rates. Um, the one that comes to mind is the freelance switch, uh, rate calculator. Um, it, are those worth it to use? Does it kind of give you a benchmark to go by or, you know, do you just kind of experiment like uh, JT was talking about and see where people are at? I think I mean, it's a useful tool. Uh, there's a, it covers a, a ton of stuff that you don't think about when you're trying to set your rate. But for most people, and it's worth the exercise to go through. But I mean, if you're going to go pie in the sky and I only want to work four hours a week and I want to profit 50000 a month and I want to be able to save 50000 a month and... I mean, your rate's going to be like, I don't know, 
San Fran startup lawyer, AC mm -hmm. rate or angel rates or something. But uh, normal advice for people that are coming from full time going to uh, hourly for me is start at your hour, hourly, your annual salary and divide it by a thousand. And so if you are making 110, uh, then your hourly starts out at 110 an hour. So if you're making 110,000 and that's basically 2000 hours in a year workable if you're doing 50 hours, 50 weeks, two weeks of vacation. So 50 work weeks, 40 hours a work week is 2000. Cut it in half and assume that you can get through 20 hours billable as a freelancer. And so that's a thousand hours to work basically. So take your annual divided by a thousand and that mm -hmm. factors in at some point the tax you have to pay and all the other junk you have to pay being solo. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that's one other thing that I've heard is that you figure out what your uh, benefits are worth and what your what your hourly pay would be if you were paid hourly on your salary, which isn't too hard because you divide by 2000 to get your hourly pay, but you have to keep in mind that you're running a freelance business. So, so I like that rule of thumb of dividing by a thousand instead of 2000. Um, but yeah, and then you figure it out that way. Um, I think it is interesting though, that there are other in other things that you wind up paying that you don't think about like, uh, taxes and what have you. So, you know, um, it is an interesting thing to, to keep in mind and, you know, definitely an interesting rule of thumb. And I also think that, yeah, if you're getting paid, you know, $100,000 a year and you divide that by 1000 to get that $100 rate, you know, you're you're getting to the ballpark that you should be in if you're any good. I was going to say with the freelance switch calculator, um, that's probably one of the best ones for this type, but there's a lot of them that they basically set your rate based on your costs. And if you know retail, that's pretty much how retail works. It's they buy an item for $10, they add a markup to it and sell it for 20. Um, and that works good for products and especially physical things because they're, you know, you're shipping atoms. But with services, it's really kind of sketchy because realistically to do like Ruby programming for a client, you really only need a laptop and internet. You know, like that's the minimum requirements you're going to need. So you don't, you're not going to have as many costs as anyone else. So like Jeff said, it's good to look at some of those and kind of get a baseline. And it's also good to look at freelance switch specifically because they have a lot of expenses you might not have realized, but it's a lot better to kind of look at it from the value side. Or if you just need a ballpark, like Jeff said, take your salary and, you know, compute that out. Um, another thing is my wife works in HR, so I get to see a lot of the employer side costs. And I don't know the exact numbers, but it's somewhere like if you get paid $100,000 as an employee, the company's probably paying 50 to at least another 100,000 just to have you in taxes and benefits and training and all that stuff. If you go freelance, you have to absorb that cost. And so that's why there's a huge difference in an hourly rate for an employee versus an hourly rate for a freelancer. Yeah. Yeah, and is the value to the potential customer, you know, the, the, the person that's going to hire us, you know, they have value in not retaining a full-time employee. And so that value that they're saving actually translates to higher costs for us because we have to take on the risk of making sure that our pipeline's full, you know, making sure that, that our clients aren't deadbeats and things like that. And so that's another reason. Typically, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people, they have, you know, they're working at some cush, you know, W-2 job where they're doing software development, they're getting paid, you know, 40 bucks an hour, which equates to, you know, 80K a year, and they'll jump out and say, well, I just need to make 40, 40 bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't, you know, they're, they're, they're caught blindside when uh, taxes are due. 
And, you know, when they realized that I can't actually make a career out of this, and I've seen a bunch of people uh, get real gun shy. Uh, they could have been really, really great freelancers, but because mm -hmm. they didn't understand how to price themselves, they just thought, you know what, I just need to match the same rate. And not realizing that their employer is, is like you said, you know, paying mm -hmm. almost, you know, anywhere from 50 to 75% more of, you know, of their actual take home gross in, in added overhead to, to kind of handle that. That seems a little high to me, but that might be a big company that has a lot of overhead. And the company that I, that I was working for and managing our overhead was typically around 35 to 55% of what we paid the employees. So we paid an additional, you know, in benefits and in office management and in, you know, everything else. So, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of uh, company your wife works for in their HR, but yeah, it's a lot. And if you don't pay attention to that, you get screwed and then you get gun shy and you don't want to do mm -hmm. freelancing anymore. For, right. for me, the biggest, the biggest stumbling block was the discovery that uh, as a W-2 employee, I had uh, 40 hours a week. Okay, uh, let's be honest. I had 70 hours a week of work every week uh, for my salary. And I stepped out to be a freelancer and I set my hourly rate. And then I was only able to book 15 hours to 25 hours a week. And you get to the end of the year and you're like, wait, I should have been, you know, making double what my salary was. And it turns out I made, you know, I barely, you know, all, you know, didn't quite meet my salary. What happened? Well, the answer is, is I only worked half the year because I only worked half a week each week. And uh, that was a problem in sales um, that, you know, over the years, I've, I've gotten a little bit better about learning how to fill up that pipe. But when you, when you first jump out, uh, into freelancing, um, if if you don't land a forty-hour-a-week gig, um, you need another gig. You know, if you land a twenty-hour-a-week gig, you need another one, or you need to you know raise your rate again. Yep. So one other thing that uh, I've heard a couple of times, I, I think it was Obi Fernandez that said this: that uh, anyone coding in Rails should be billing at least a hundred dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. Do, does that number sound right to you guys? Is it too high? Is it too low? So I think um, I think it was 150. That's his uh, do the hustle or it was hustle was in the title. It was a talk he gave. Yeah. Uh -huh. So 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 kind of on that note, here's just an interesting psychologically. You kind of got to consider the source, right? Like he's kind of indirectly <laughs> benefiting by putting that statement out there and, and, and setting that expectation with customers, which I think is actually a really nice thing because we can kind of ride on the coattails of that. I don't think every freelance Rails programmer is worth $150 an hour. Mm -hmm. Just to be straight up, you know, I've met plenty who are. I've I've met a lot who are not who are worth maybe forty dollars an hour, and they shouldn't be freelancing. Um, and so I really think that it depends. It doesn't depend on the technology, but what he might be saying is, hey, the market can bear this because this is what we're charging. But also, I think it was really clever on his part to say to to kind of bracket to set that expectation um, because it helps his company out, especially if he can say, you know what, everybody else is charging one fifty, and uh, we're charging one seventy five, but we produce this you know X number of increase in quality or something. Mm -hmm. it, it helps, you know, in the psychology of bracketing when you're setting up prices, yeah. you know, it's no, it's no accident that most companies charge three prices and they have three products because they know that you're going to go buy the middle one, you know, and if you can say we're cheaper than, we're cheaper than ThoughtWorks, but we're more expensive than these, these guys that are just running out of their garage, mm -hmm. you've effectively, you know, yeah. created a marketing position. For well, and, and consider the source also that Obi just made the news recently by being cheaper than nobody. Um, to, to the point that there was a that there was a backlash in the community at how much he was charging. Right. So the the other question then is, um, you know, how do you figure out that your rate is too low? 
uh, I we did hear, hear the metric. Oh, I think that's a fair price, or you know, you don't get any pushback on your rate. Is, is there another way of measuring that? Um, if you talk with your peers, like you know, like all of us here, like we'll we'll talk or chat or even on Twitter. And if your peers say you're charging too little, or they're like, "Hey, we we're gonna find a project to hire you," that probably is a good idea. That you're too low, and they're gonna try to use <laughs> your availability as much as possible. Yeah. If, if your friends can make a margin off your retail, you're charging too little. <laughs> <laughs> if your friends can make a margin off your retail, my email address is dbrady at slideroulabs.com. Um, I may have work for you. Right. But uh, I, I do want to point out, though, that on the flip side, if if you don't want to go do the marketing work, you don't want to go do the, you know, all of the business stuff and you're happy just to uh, sell your time to somebody else at sort of wholesale, um, maybe to get a few more hours, but not have to hassle with that. I mean, it's not really a terrible way to go if that fits your mindset. Oh, but, absolutely not. Yeah. You know, if you can reduce risk by, by handing off the marketing and customer acquisition tasks to somebody else, mm-hmm. you can really lower your rate. Like you could, you, you know, legitimately. cut $50 out of your rate. Yeah. 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 Seriously. That's, that's, really not a bad way to go yeah it's it's uh if i've got somebody that's willing to project manage for me uh and and i mean actually hustle do project management i don't mean just you know cash the checks and then uh you know check out for weeks at a time um if 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 the project manager is actually willing to do the project management uh i'm you know i'm willing to work for less than three figures an hour and uh i love the fact that we're all on this we're talking about setting rate and nobody's actually throwing numbers out on the table and we'll get into a little bit about why that is too but uh uh but yeah absolutely i've i've cut uh, i've cut uh my rate in uh, not quite in half um but i've cut 50 60 dollars off of the rate before to uh have somebody else project manage for me right yeah so so one other question that i have then is um Let's say you set your rate, and I'm just going to put a pie in the sky number out there. Let's say you set your rate at, at $200 an hour, mm-hmm. and, and I'm pretty sure that none of us are charging quite that yes. much. But uh, anyway, so you you start talking to a client, and uh, you know they're they're really not comfortable with that number. Uh, you know, uh, do you lower your your rate, and to what point do you usually do that? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, the only thing I ever hear among consultants and contractors is you need to be more courageous and you need to raise your rates. I never ever hear contractors telling each other you need to be smart and lower your rate. I, I, I never hear that. And I I think the reason why is because um, you know you're billing two hundred say you're billing a hundred and fifty. Um, say you're billing a hundred and you you pitch a client and they say no you know we just don't pay that much for contractors and they go away that stings and it's really hard to keep a straight face and sound confident the next time you bid that same rate and you you two or three times of that and you really start to sweat when you try to ask for the rate that you want and that's why yeah i, I don't know it's uh, I, I've never had a problem with billing too much. Um, I've, I have lost accounts because I was asking for too much. Um, but there's a, a really good rule for negotiating that I like to use, and that is that um, when you ask for a dollar figure, you need to ask for a number. Don't ask for a number that's so high that if they walk away because you're so high that you'll kick yourself for for being greedy. Um, you know, if, if, if your number's low enough and they walk away and you say, well, that was a fair number and they walked away, I guess I don't really want them as a client. Um, and the other side of that is 
don't pick a number so low that if they agree that you kick yourself for actually actually winning the business and now you have to do the work at that at that rate. Right. Yeah, and there's one thing that bit me um, one time, especially because I got started at such a low rate, is I did a discount and had a lower rate than my normal rate, and which was already way lower than market rate. And that client turned into a repeat client. And mm-hmm. so because I price fixed it, like we'll say I, I said, you know, $50 is my rate. Mm-hmm. They had that perception of this is Eric's value. And so over time, it was hard to kind of get them to realize that my value is actually say at 100 or 150. Mm-hmm. And so it took a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of more renegotiations to get it back up versus if I started at my normal rate and then did a different kind of perspe- perspective of like, this is a one-time discount type thing, or I'm doing this because it's February or some other, you know, different reason. So that's that's one thing that bit me. Um, and that's, I think, why a lot of consultants kind of do the knee jerk of, you know, don't give rate discounts because they don't want to get into all that psychological yep. background on it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, because when you, when you got the long-term rate, now you know you 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 say you're billing out at fifty dollars an hour which is a huge discount off you know deep discount off your your regular rate and then they say well we're going to give you a six-month contract and since we're giving you six months we'd like to we'd like you to we'd like you to give us a a discount Uh wait 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 i'm already giving you a discount right the the only time i have fired a client and sworn at them um was because i did that i gave them a discount and they came back with a counter proposal of an even lower number, and I told them to go to hell to their face. Um, and that that was the moment that I, I I can't say I coined this rule, but I, I will say I independently discovered it. And that uh, when I when I talk with clients, I tell them straight up, I never give discounts, not ever. However, my rate is entirely negotiable. If you want to give me something in return, if you want to lower my risk or if you want to increase my safety or if you want to, you know, it's, you know, if you want to buy hours in bulk so that I'm not worrying, you know, if you want to buy six months of my time, that I will give you all, I will negotiate my rate all kinds of ways for that much security of, of income. But there's going to be a line in the contract that says if you bail out three after three months, you have to pay me the extra three months, right? I mean, because I gave you a negotiated rate. Uh, but I did not give you a discount, and you just you you keep fixed in their mind that you know, it's like it's like an infomercial on TV. They never say, and we'll throw in a free pocket watch. They say we'll also give you this two hundred dollar watch, or you know the, the, you know a one hundred ninety nine dollar value, you know absolutely yours to keep. And they never use the F word in there, right? And they never say free. Um, and yeah, you always keep the value set at that, you know, our hourly rate is X and we will negotiate, you know, nine ways to Sunday. And I had one client that absolutely not only didn't want to negotiate, didn't, didn't want to reduce risk, but actually wanted to introduce even more risk to me. And I said, not a problem. Uh, I, I'm willing to negotiate for that. And I gave him a rate higher than my normal, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, for, for everybody else, it's 50 bucks an hour for you, 75. Um, and he wasn't real happy with it, but he saw the logic in it, and, and he actually paid me. It was a short contract, and it was part of the risk increase as well. 
Right. My my dad, when he got out of dental school, um, he actually uh, had one of his cousins come to him and say, so you're a dentist now. You're going to give me the family discount. And he said, sure, it's 150 <laughs> percent. And, you know, and it was the same kind of thing is, you know, look, you know, if you're coming into my dental office and sitting down and, you know, getting work done, you know, mm-hmm. we're related so you, you might think, and in, in this case with this particular cousin, he was partially right. You might think that, uh, you're getting free dental work because if, if you don't, if you don't pay me, you know, we still get to see each other at family reunions. I'm yeah. not going to sue you, whatever. Right. And you know, yeah. So he basically was saying, you know, you're more risky to me than, you know, a stranger that's a non-pay. Yeah. My regular walk-in customers don't talk to me about work at the over Thanksgiving dinner. Right. And so, yeah, it was, it's kind of an interesting thing. And so, yeah, you do trade off for risk. Um, mm-hmm. How much how much are, do you usually negotiate? And I, I don't know if you're if you're comfortable talking about this and we can gloss over it if, if you're not. But, you know, how much do you usually negotiate for a reduction in risk, maybe for a longer term contract or something like that? So I can't speak for anybody else other than slide rule. Um, so typically, are you OK talking about it? Yeah. So so our, our retail rates are one thirty five an hour and we have tiered pricing if you want to do a retainer arrangement where you pay up front for a block of time each month. And depending on how many hours you want to prepay for, then we reduce the rate, you know, by, you know, five, ten bucks an hour, depending on, you know, the length of the contract and how many hours you want up front. Um, so it can go down, you know, by, you know, so somebody wants, you know, 20 hours or 40 hours a month. Uh, I, I don't have our rate sheet in front of me right now, yeah. I'm just, so I'm totally going from memory. If you want to do like 40 hours a month, then we reduce the rate by 25 bucks or 20 bucks an hour. Right. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and since it's prepaid, you know, you are reducing the risk because you're not going to yeah. be doing work that you're not already yeah. paid for. Yeah. And that well, provides a huge value to the customer it's, too. It's, it's a value to the customer and it's a value to us. I mean, it, it's just this, this huge weight off our mind of like, how do we fill the sales pipe? Oh, we just, we just socked 40 hours into the sales pipe or into the, into into our work pipe, you know, month in, month out. That's absolutely worth, uh, I, I can't do the math. It's, was it 800 bucks? <laughs> It's uh, worth dollars. It's worth it's it's worth. Wait, where's your slide rule, Dave? It's, it's about a hundred dollars. Oh, I got a slide rule. Yeah. So. Dave knows how to do math with slide rules. So I actually did buy a slide slide rule and learn how to use it because I know somebody's going to walk up to me at a conference and say, "So, do you actually know how to use one of those?" Yeah, there you go. Do you also know how to field dress a buffalo? No, which is why we are not fielddressingbuffalolabs.com. <laughs> <laughs> we did consider it. The domain name was available. <laughs> Should yeah, say was was yeah was yeah. What, what other arcane that, arts are there? I'm doing yeah. some uh, affiliate marketing tests with it now. Yeah, so I, I am curious, like like in terms of negotiation, you know, what do you guys do? Like how how when you walk into a situation, what are what are some of the the actual actionable tactics that we could share with some of the listeners on ways that you negotiate oh, yeah. and build value uh, in the minds of of your potential customers? Um, my favorite one is the silent one where oh, what is it? I'm trying to remember how exactly but you set it up you basically say your price or you know your quote or whatever you're going to say and you shut up you don't say anything and you you know there's a certain point where you hit that uncomfortable silence part mm-hmm. stay silent through that a little bit and typically whoever's the stronger negotiator will be able to stay silent for a little bit and then someone who kind of gets uncomfortable with it just socially will start talking and that's kind of or oh no you don't say your rate you you talk about the project and then when rate comes up you be kind of quiet about it 
And because it's the first one who talks and sets a price, kind of sets that marker of, you know, this is the ballpark we're playing in. And then the other person can kind of go above or below it. Mm -hmm. So if you speak up first because you're unconfident, you might set a price that's way below the amount that they're willing to pay. And so they realize, oh, we can just take them at this amount. And then that's when they say, oh, that's a good price. We'll take that right there. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's like, if you let them talk first, they're going to tell you where their ballpark is. And then you can kind of play to that too. Mm-hmm. So, so do you find that the customers are, so here's the deal. I, I've, I've read that in, in a number of books, um, that you, you never want to be the first person yeah. to, to say your price. The first person to talk loses. But, but I don't necessarily agree with that. You no. know, for as many, as many published works that I've read that in, I don't necessarily agree with that. Maybe it's a personality thing. Um, I would much rather be upfront with pricing. I actually have a commentary about th- there's a reason it works and a, re- and a reason it doesn't. And if if you are, and this is another hint, guys, you need to raise your rates. <laughs> if you are below market value, speaking first means you lose. If you are above market value, speaking first means you have set the price point. And uh, maybe maybe you're hoping that they're going to say, well, we were kind of hoping we could maybe get you for three twenty-five an hour, um, but that never happens. And so. If you if you know what your value is, you can give somebody a solid. So there's there, there's two sides to it, right? And, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to disagree uh, with you, Eric. That is it. Yeah, Eric no, this Jeff? is a good point. Um, I'm not trying to disagree with you that you know that, that keeping silent is is a bad technique because it's it's a very powerful technique. Because people, oh, yeah. if if you say a price number, it works both ways. First of all, the first you know if 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 you're if you're kind of in the market. Um, then yeah, let them let them speak first if you can because they will generally offer something higher, and, you, and then you can nego- or or they'll offer a number that you can negotiate up from. It, if you give a number, you're going to negotiate down from that number. So just just remember that if you if you do speak first, put twenty bucks on your number because you're going to get negotiated. Uh, down, you'll never your client will never ever ever negotiate you up from the number you give. Um, and remember that your client's going to cut twenty dollars off of or fifty dollars off of off of the rate when he picks a number. Um, and so if you accept his rate, it's it's the same you know it's it's the same rule in reverse. If you say that's a fair rate, he just got away with murder. Um, and so uh, I, I guess where I'm going with this is that if you have a uh, a, a, an additional technique is if you have a solid sense of confident worth of what you are, what your worth is hourly, um, that you won't kick yourself if you blow the if you blow the deal. Um, then you come out and you say, "Well, we charge this much," and it, it's like you never you never walk into a Walmart and then have to haggle over the price. You know, it's it's going to be eight dollars and ninety six cents. And so there's there's two different mindsets there, and they are both valid. Um, if you're a new freelancer and you're and you're especially if you're a little bit below market rate, then yeah, hang hold back and let them let them say a number first. And um, if you say the number first, um, ask for twenty dollars more than you normally ask for, and then and then follow it with silence and just let that number hang over the table like a cloud. Um, and just just let that that number kind of sink in uh, as as a negotiating point because they'll because they will immediately start saying well can we can we cut a deal and what I have found is they will say can we cut a deal if you if you tell them it's 150 bucks an hour they say oh can we cut a deal if you tell them well we charge 45 dollars an hour they will still flinch and say oh can we cut a deal so you might as well have given them a bigger number 
Yeah. One, one other yeah. thing that occurs to me is that in, in some cases, they've thought about what they are willing to pay, give or take. I mean, mm-hmm. they have a ballpark, but in some cases they really don't. And so mm-hmm. if you put them on the spot to give you a number, they may have no idea where to put that. Mm-hmm. So so here's something interesting on that, Chuck, and maybe I, I would be interested if, if your experience differs from this. Um, in, in my experience, if the customer doesn't know, you don't want them as a customer because they are a customer that causes problems. If they don't have a budget, they probably don't run a really good business and they probably really don't have a good understanding. And so that is a huge red flag to me if you don't have a budget. And so I'm totally up front with people. And when I, when I ask them, you know, if if we have somebody that calls in and says, Hey, I'm interested, you know, I I saw or heard about you guys from a friend. I have this project. Do you want to talk about it? I say, sure. You know, give me an idea, a ballpark idea of what your budget is. And I say, I am not trying to price this up to your budget. I just want to know how serious you are mm-hmm. about doing this thing and how, you know, and, 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 and the, the question behind the question is, is, is how good of a business person are you? How much experience do you have? Because I need to price according to your level of experience. You know, if, if there's somebody, this is the first time they've ever done a project and they're using their kid's college fund, there's a decent chance that I'm going to tell them no. And I'm going to say, you know what, you need to go develop your idea and then come back to me. Or you need to pay me $5,000 and I will help you, you know, for one week, mm. develop this idea into an up or a down vote. So that's just me personally. I don't know if you if you guys have had a different experience with that, but I am really, really hesitant to do any work for somebody who does not have a budget. And maybe yeah. they won't tell me for negotiation reasons. It's totally valid to not tell me what that budget is and to have to do with you know all the psychology around getting the budget out but if you don't have a budget that's scary to me the 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 inverse of that is kind of what i was thinking when i said uh knowing what your rate is going in and being willing to put out and say this is my price tag also helps because um if you give the client the perception that you're trying to if you're trying to charge the low low price of whatever the market will bear the client can pick up on that and sure. and they're not happy um, if if they know that they can if they know that they can get you for $85 or for $150 just based on just throwing a number out um, you'll lose the contract because you're not ethical and you should yeah. lose the contract um, and so uh, if i ever do give or uh, if actually lately we've always given a number first now that i think about it um, when we do give a number it's because we've actually talked through with the client what the work is and what the value is Mm -hmm. and so uh, when we negotiate rate with a client it it always comes down to okay you want this much work of this caliber of this kind of complexity in this language you know what this product is worth to you and this is what this level of work is worth to us Um, I I charge $255 an hour to do PHP work um, and nobody will hire me at that rate, and that's the point. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I kind of was thinking about it. Recently, I guess five or six months ago, I actually published my rates on my website. Published them more as packages of like, with 10 hours, you can kind of expect to get this much work. It will cost yeah. this much. With 20 hours, you can expect to get this. And I did that because I needed a filter. I was getting six to a dozen requests a week of like we want you to do our project please mm-hmm. bid it out and reply with your bid and I'm telling like I'm so busy I don't have this and mm-hmm. so I published my rates like that just as a filter for if someone's coming and say hey we want Facebook and we only have a thousand bucks for it they will <laughs> hopefully self-select themselves out of the group and won't even contact me yeah and so I guess in that sense I actually am speaking first and saying these are what my rates look like if you mm-hmm. are still interested, then contact me. 
there was a, a shop back in the early noughties, late nineties, early noughties that for $99, they would build you a website and it was just, it was just a toolkit and they would go through a control panel and they would click all the options that you wanted. And, and, and it took them five minutes to turn you around a really crappy looking website. And I worked at a web, uh, a custom web development shop and all of our clients were in the 5,000 to uh, all but one of our clients were in the five thousand to fifty thousand dollar price range, and the other client um, was over two million dollars by the time we were done with him. Um, but uh, the, the the CEO of the company would just grumble because he was filtering so many leads, and his his curse of the of the day every single day was he would just throw up his hands and he says everybody wants a ninety nine dollar website, and yeah, that's 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 one of the first things that, that you have to do is if you're getting a lot of leads coming in that are poorly qualified to you, you putting your price out there can filter against the people that want the, yeah, like you said, Facebook for 500 bucks or, or a $99 website. Yeah. Another thing you can do just as an idea, Eric, I really like your approach. Um, uh, but another thing that you can do is set up an automated response system. So they fill out, say, you know, a web form saying I'm interested. The, the system automatically emails them back a document that they need to fill out like a questionnaire that kind of gets them thinking, wow, this is not a simple thing. And so if you're reluctant to put your price out there first, if you set up a system like that, I mean, you can do it through, you know, a Weber or something like that that will email them back an Excel spreadsheet that they have to fill out. And it'll kind of estimate things, you know, your project is likely going to take, you know, X number of thousands of dollars, you know, and then they, number one, you've, you've already engaged them. You've created a sort of a connection and you have their email address technically. And then number two, you know, if you wanted to, you could follow up with those people if you ever have some other product or service to offer them. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you do want to come up with this $99 web builder and you want to partner with, you know, Squarespace or whatever the, the website builder company is called yeah. today um, to do that. Um, so there are other ways to kind of to create this filter to reduce your workload, um, but still possibly, you know, maintain a relationship with people that might be too cheap for your services right now, but maybe in the future when they go off to Odesk and hire a developer and you ping them in three months just saying, hey, did you ever find somebody to do your project? They'll come back to you saying, oh yes, please, will you help me? Because I know you're qualified because of Mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. Yeah. And you can put your budget on that questionnaire. Yeah, you totally can. your budget, yeah. You, Mm -hmm. You totally can. I mean, you can give a little bit more information. Once they've kind of raised their hand and said, hey, I'm interested in enough to contact you. Mm-hmm. It's not taking up your time on the phone and your time in the email because the automated system is kind of helping these people, but then you still have the ability to contact them in the future. Mm-hmm. One of our, I don't know if this will be an official motto on, on our website somewhere, but our unofficial motto at Slide Rule is we fix $5 haircuts. And that, that, that goes back to the old joke of, you know, the, the sign in the barbershop that says haircuts $5 and across the street is another barbershop that says haircuts. $25 and then there's another sign below it that says we fix $5 haircuts and um, which is a brilliant marketing scheme um, but what we are finding is that we're doing uh, we're doing what we call rails rescue work which is where we come in after your economical uh, developer your you know fresh off the PHP boat developer has built your website and we come in and we fix it and we clean it and we, we fix the $5 haircut and um, it has not been our goal or our intention to make our customers angry at these economical developers because they really do serve a valid purpose. They, you know, they help launch the site, they help get it out there. But um, every single customer we've worked with um, has ended up almost shaking with rage 
at their $5 haircut. After, shaking with pleasure and shaking and with dealing with developers that actually know what they're doing. That's kind of a, I'm sure you guys have all experienced that too. This isn't unique to us. Yeah, that's kind of a disturbing visual, but yeah, shaking, <laughs> shaking with pleasure. Oh, I love you guys so much. Um, and that can help. That can help back. You know, the, ultimately, if you put a price out on the table, um, some people are going to be driven away by it. But some people, you're going to be kind of at the top end of their range, and those are the people that you want to put out. You don't want to just negotiate price. You want to negotiate value and explain to these people, this is what you're going to get for $135. And, and you know, it's, uh, you know, we'd be happy to give you a list of people who hired economical developers and then hired us. And we're happy to give you a list of economical developers. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, happy, to, yeah. we're happy to recommend a number of $5 barbers that, that you know, that we're used to their coding style, and we we like cleaning up after them. Well, and we'll we'll even rec- you know recommend people who are decent. For tea. Yeah, that's you know, true. Not everybody has a budget, you know, legitimately for yeah. business purposes. You know, when we ask what the budget is, if they say five thousand dollars, legitimately, I've received an inquiry. I want a Twitter clone for five thousand dollars, and of course, they weren't aware of all the Twitter clone scripts you can just buy uh, in PHP online. But you know, they said, yeah, we can't afford. You know, when I told them how much it was going to cost to get a mobile app and a website and the services infrastructure, mm-hmm. um, they were just like, wow, that is at least 200 times our budget. I said, well, great, you know, go here and talk to this guy. You know, maybe he'll help you out. And uh, and it's not to sabotage the relationship with them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe just for business purposes that they need to do that. And honestly, part of the reason why I did that was for education. This is their first time doing mm-hmm. a technology project. And uh Sometimes the school of hard knocks is the best one to teach you how to work with freelancers. Yep. Well, yeah, and I mean, that's, I was actually on the other side of that uh, a couple of years back when I was looking for an accountant. I was calling, you know, the local CPAs, going into, you know, high rise offices, meeting guys in suits, all that stuff. And they were talking, you know, $5,000, $10,000 to do my tax return. And one guy basically said, look, you work at home, you basically make, you know, like a high salary for a person most of the people you've probably been talking to are way out of your league. Here's a list of other CPAs who are just as qualified but actually work with one or two people companies. Mm-hmm. He gave me the list. I contacted one person off that. I contacted her through email and then talked to her on the phone and she's been my accountant for four or five years now because yeah. she serves the market that I need. I just need someone to do the tax stuff and give me some advice every now and then. Yeah. I don't need to track inventory and to do massive tax things that enterprises do. Yeah. And so it's kind of the same with development. I mean, you have different services and people fill different services based on what needs to be done. You know, that's, sometimes that's awesome. are what you need to. That's awesome because I, I, I'm in the same boat with my accountant, only from the other direction, that everyone I talk to that's that's a one-person shop, they they go out and they buy Quicken because they can't afford QuickBooks, and they buy TurboTax because they can't afford to hire H&R Block. And I, I, I go back to them, Chuck, I, I, I wrangle Chuck into going to my accountant and I, everyone I talk to, I say, you need to hire my accountant. And he charges like $300, $300 to do your taxes. Oh my gosh, but TurboTax only costs $49.95. And I'm like, yeah, but TurboTax is going to lose you $8,000 in tax return that this $300 accountant will get you. And yeah, it's it's where where JT and I are a two person shop. We don't need a ten thousand dollar accountant. We we need a three hundred dollar accountant, and he's he, yeah. So yeah, I have three words for that: worth every penny. Yes. 
And I mean, the other way of looking at it is, I think I pay about a thousand a year for my accountant because she does mm-hmm. quarterly stuff for me. Yeah. Like, even if I build a hundred dollars an hour, if she saves me ten hours, it's a good yeah. business decision. Oh, and absolutely. Yeah, if you've ever looked at taxes, you know you're going to save ten dollars an hour per page that you file. Oh yeah, we, um, not JT and I, but my my wife and I recently uh, had to create an S corp so that we could get. Uh, health insurance because LLCs can't get a group plan in Utah, and uh, and I may be oversimplifying it, but we couldn't get one. And uh, S corps have so much more paperwork. You have to file file employee, uh, you know, with with Utah Workforce Services that you are an equal opportunity employer, and you have to file uh, monthly reports and quarterly report. I mean, there's so much paperwork and this $300 a year accountant said, you know, for a hundred bucks a month, I will file all those reports. And we're like, yes, please. And yeah, I'll echo what Chuck said worth every penny. Yep. So one other thing that I want to get into with setting your rate, we kind of went off on a tangent there and I, I I think it's good advice, but I kind of want to get back to the topic. Um, how do you go about setting a rate for a fixed bid project? We've talked about whether or not to take them, um, but uh, how do you set the, the rate for that? Actually, Chuck, before we jump into that, I, I, I just realized there was a nice closing seg to that higher negoti- negotiating rate. Uh-huh. Um, I just realized that we, we have one client that's paying us a retainer base, and he has not said the words worth every penny, but he has expressed amazement and astonishment at the quality of the work that he's getting for the money that he's paying. And so what that should be your guiding role. In whatever you negotiate, you want your clients to just squeal with joy and say, this guy is worth every penny, whatever your rate. If you're charging 35 bucks an hour, if you're charging 235 bucks an hour, you want your clients to say, worth every penny and if you are then you will be able to get the repeat business and get the referral business and you will do very very well right so, okay yeah, now fix bids. sorry we're not letting jeff talk is he still connected i am still connected okay we're just talking over you <laughs> yeah no i'm happily sitting back and absorbing it all i mean there were so many points that i wanted to comment on but they were like 40 minutes ago so <laughs> we'll just we'll just keep going Chuck should have warned you. I on the Ruby Rogues podcast, there are there are episodes. Uh, in fact, if you listen to the episode going up tomorrow, there's a spot where I jump in for about the fifteenth time, and one of the other panelists just goes <sighs> because I jumped in over him for like the fifteenth time. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But uh, yeah, so fixed bids. H- how do you determine a price for those? Guess and multiply by a big number. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, I kind of talked about how I did it um, when we did the episode on fixed bids, but you know, you you kind of estimate the work, you add some padding, and I just times it by my normal rate, and then whatever it ends up at, I kind of make it more rounder. So if it's like four thousand eight hundred and seventy-five dollars, I might round up to five thousand or so. Um, nothing really complex to it. I mean, you don't want to overanalyze this. If you spend ten hours writing a proposal to get the perfect price and they decline it, that's a waste of time. If, if I have to spend 10 hours estimating um, for a fixed bid, then the very first thing that I give my the client is a, a proposal that says, uh, for $1,350, I will spend 10 hours giving you a fixed estimate. You will, you will pay me to do the estimate. If you want a fixed bid, then here's the first fixed bid. Um, it's gonna cost you this much money for me to give you an estimate. And that, that tends to weed out a lot of people. There, there's, well, there, I'm, I'm, I've already talked too much in this episode, uh, but find out why people want a fixed bid. It's, it's usually because they've been burned, 
um, and or they have a lot of fear about the project completing. And uh, if you don't address the underlying issues on why they have that fear, that fear will actually grow and magnify as the project goes along, and it will represent itself in like scope creep. And you know they'll say, well, I want a fixed bid. Um, and then you get into it and you deliver exactly what you bid, but the project doesn't work because they overlooked something. And uh, I said I was going to shut up, so I'm going to shut up. Yeah, one of the things that, that I've done in the past uh, with fixed bid specifically is, is pretty much exactly what you guys have talked about. You know, you estimate the project. Um, I like to use the, the PERT methodology where you give, you know, essentially uh, these, these three estimates where if it goes, everything goes according to plan, if everything goes way, way wonky on the plan and just kind of what I would, you know, just the middle of the road. And I actually have adapted the PERT methodology uh, to be uh, a little bit more weighted towards uh, my experience. But then if the client wants fixed bid, I pad it with anywhere from 30 to 60% extra because, and, and that coefficient comes from their experience and my uh, level of trust that they will stick to, you know, no scope creep. Uh, Etc. and and how good their specs are coming into the project. If I have to, if I have to come up, you know, because you'll have clients, and I'm sure you guys have all experienced this, where you've got a client that gives you this spec, and it's just this list of stuff in Basecamp. Like I want these and these and these features, but in their mind, they expect something to work they don't want to have to outline every little feature and so then i take that into a coefficient you know i take that into effect you know i, I account for that with some sort of a coefficient of how likely is this project to go over and then i multiply it by that and so coming up with that number i think is is uh neither an art nor a science is kind of just a you know a brain dump that uh, and then you know shower revelation of yeah i think i should probably do it about this about this level uh, but that's typically how i charge for a fixed price project all right we're, we're almost out of time i do want to ask one more question and that's about retainer rates because uh you know jt or dave mentioned retainer rates mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so how do you set a rate say it's a monthly retainer for you know x amount of hours or x amount of work every month you know how, how, do, how do you how do you structure that it's just a straight up negotiation. How much, I mean, the retainer basically represents a reduction in risk. Um, and uh, for us, which we're willing to put money back on the table uh, for the client, you know, give money back to the client uh, as a result. And the more risk you want to take off the table for me, uh, the more the more of a discount I'm willing to give you. Right. And so we do have a tiered price sheet and, and we can, you know, we, we can produce that so you can put it up in the show notes. Um, if you're interested. Yeah, just send me a link if, if it's something that people mm-hmm. can go and look at or download. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we are out of time. I actually have to get off this call within the next like 10 minutes. So we'll we'll do the picks and then we'll wrap this up. Um, let's go ahead. Let's start with Eric. Eric, what are your picks? Okay. So my pick today was actually going to be this before I even knew the topic. Um, Shane Perlman, who's actually one of my clients. I've worked with him for... I can try to remember the date, at least three or four years straight. He has a post um, on his company's blog that is actually called, What Should I Charge? Um, he basically, he hires freelancers and uses them as subcontractors for bigger clients. And so during, I guess, International Freelancers Day this last, you know, 2011, he, uh, he did a presentation about how she, how she pick, how you should pick your price and what to look at and all that. Um, 
really useful and I've he has a couple links to some of his other stuff he's written on the blog about setting prices and what you need to account for in your rate and business expenses so I really recommend if you're still trying to figure out your rate and you don't know industry stuff watch this video go through some of that stuff um, you know and you could probably email and ask him too I mean he has a pretty good pulse on the market because they go through a lot of a lot of projects a lot of contractors a lot of different things so all right sounds good uh, Jeff what are your picks well, that was one of mine, and it was in uh, Freelancing Weekly, and I'm hoping that's where you got it from. But the other one is the 500 words before 8 a.m. It's this article, it was a comment on Reddit, and then an article uh, by Clay Johnson, and basically he's saying you shape your day by how you start it. So if you start uh, consuming email or in a consumption mode, then you spend the rest of your day in consumption mode and you don't get a lot done. But if you start the day off as a producer and in this context, I try to write 500 words before 8 a.m., then you'd be amazed at how much stuff you've accomplished at the end of the day because you start out as a producer instead of a consumer. So it's just a really interesting read. Yeah, I, I like that idea. How many of you guys are actually awake before 8 a.m.? I am. Well before Cricket, 8. Cricket. The final Giles wake. Bo- <laughs> Giles Boquette had a great summary of that, that article, and he basically said, this sounds suspiciously like take a dump before you eat breakfast. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I didn't see that. It's my job to report things like this to your listeners. <laughs> yeah. I take my job seriously. Yeah, Dave is our resident poop joke expert. <laughs> Speaking of which, Dave, what are your picks? Uh, my picks are uh, about negotiating. Um, uh, the first one is uh, how to make ten thousand or how to make a thousand dollars a minute. Uh, or it's called Negotiating Your Salary, How to Make $1,000 a Minute. It's by Jack Chapman. Uh, it's uh, very, very true for anybody that's working a W-2 job that's listening to this podcast because they want to go freelance and they just don't dare to. This is a fantastic book for how to negotiate a raise or how to negotiate salary with your next employee or employer. Um, but as a contractor, it's absolutely essential because you're negotiating your salary every time you meet with a new client. It's a fantastic uh, book. Uh, go to YouTube and Google for Jack Chapman, and you'll find a whole bunch of like video tips from him. Um, like he, he, he gives a video demonstration of how to do the flinch, which is when the customer says, we were thinking about paying you $125 an hour. And what you do is you, you look away and kind of flinch and you go, Hmm. And you don't say anything. And that immediately establishes, I'm about to negotiate you upward. And it gives you emotional leverage to do it. Um, the second uh, book, uh, I'll dig up the author for the show, link, show links, but the book is titled, How to Out-Negotiate Anyone, Even a Used Car Salesman. And it's a, just a brilliant breakdown for the layperson of high thinking uh, negotiation strategy, which basically boils down to uh, knowing when to walk away, having a be- you know a best alternative to a negotiated agreement that you a batna, um, and uh, especially that's where I got that concept of number low enough that you won't kick yourself and number high enough that you won't kick yourself. Uh, and uh, the the last uh, pick is just a tip that came out of one of either of those two books. No, out of neither of those two books, and that is never negotiate with yourself. Um, it's not a book. It's just uh, the last little tip that I'll give about negotiating. If you go in and you want to ask for $135 an hour and you sit down and the guy sitting across from you is ex-military and has a butch haircut and is really aggressive and he says, so what's your rate, kid? Um, 
you do not offer 115. You do not negotiate. You don't take 20 bucks off your price because you're afraid to ask for, you know, never negotiate with yourself. Ask for what you want and let them negotiate with, you know, let them do their negotiating for themselves. Yeah. Some of those ex-military guys are kind of uh, intimidating, aren't they, Jeff? They, they're intimidating. All right. Uh, JT, what are your picks? So I've got two quick picks and one of them harkens back to, uh, it, it's, it's an oldie but goodie. It's a how to make friends and influence people. And it sounds really cheesy title if you haven't read it yet. It's by Dale Carnegie and he wrote it like in the twenties. Mm, how to win friends. Yeah. 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 How to win friends. Um, and, but, but essentially the, the takeaway I believe for setting a rate specifically is talk about the value and put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're negotiating with and how can you present your value to them in a way that makes them not want to flinch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other book is is severely tactical. It's a power sales negotiation. I forget the author and we'll get it to you for the show notes. Probably Roger Dawson given a title like that. Possibly. And essentially what it is, is it's the most jerky, slimy list of sales tactics and how to counter them. Definitely Roger Dawson. Not that you will <laughs> use them, but so that you can be aware of them. So you can, you know, like I, I swore after reading that book that I would never use them because they're so slimy. Um, but can you give an example? Uh, the, the flinching, the flinch. Okay. Yeah. The, the flinching is a great one. Um, I've never flinched in a negotiation. Um, but I recognize when people do and I call them on the flinch and I say, great flinch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it really puts people off guard. If you know that they have a system that they're trying to manipulate you with mm-hmm. and you are in on that system, but you refuse to do so, it gives you incredible leveraging power. Yep. Yeah, right. it is Roger Dawson. He's he is one manipulative SOB. Yeah. And so I would I would encourage people not to use it, but to be aware of it. It's just, you know, understand the the the, the strength of the dark side of the force. But, mm-hmm. you know, young Padawans stay in the light side. Yeah. Yep. All right. So I have a couple of picks. Uh, the first one is Evernote. Ooh. And uh, this is something that I just I, I hadn't used for a while. I actually used it this morning and uh, I, I have a workout sheet from my uh, trainer. Um, because I'm doing a weight loss contest and so they have assigned me a trainer and uh, anyway I didn't want to take the paper to the gym because they have these overhead fans that blow the paper away and so I actually used Evernote and since I was taking my iPod with me anyway because I was going to wear it as I lifted weights um, basically I just uh, put it into Evernote installed the Evernote app on my iPod and then connected to the Wi-Fi at the gym and lo and behold it, uh, it worked terrific and so i could actually just follow the workout off of my ipod and so i just pull it up and and look at it um i don't have great picks for uh negotiating rate um but one other thing that i want to pick is just uh just uh collaborating with peers um talking to people who have experience um and the reason is is because like i said when i first got into this um i had talked to a few people at uh what was it it was ruby web conference a couple of years ago um i started asking about it and then i got laid off a month later and actually needed to use it i was asking about freelancing but uh that actually kind of, chuck you, you got laid off three days after ruby web conference was it three days yep i was there <laughs> you were there at both yeah <laughs> No, you and I got laid off from the same place at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you got laid off a day later because you were late to work that day. That's true. That's true. (laughs) I missed it. I missed I I got an extra day of employment because I missed the meeting where I got fired. Yeah. Yeah. They called us in and they they were like, yeah, so we're letting you guys go and we're letting Dave go whenever he gets here. (laughs) But uh, I still don't know why they fired me. (laughs) Because they didn't have money to pay you. Some crap about attendance. I don't know. (laughs) 
Yeah, we, 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 we won't get into that. Suffice it to say that somebody was spending more money than the company had. And yep. they, they decided to let the more expensive people go instead of the least experienced people go. In, or and or the person who was spending all the money. Yeah, but uh, anyway, um, that the, the talk at Ruby Web Conference kind of opened the door with Evan so that he was willing to introduce me around with, uh, with uh, Eric and Jeff and some other guys that uh, I tend to ask advice of every so often. And um, it, it really paid off for me. It really prompted me to do some things differently, including raising my rate. And so if you know, it, it's something that came up during the, the show, but it really is true. I mean, be talking to people, you know, find out what's going on, find out what people are thinking about. Um, and, and you can usually get a pretty good idea of what people are charging or what you should be charging, even if people aren't coming out and saying, I'm billing, you know, this amount or that amount. Um, and one and, and one other thing that came out of that that group that I really want to bring up was that um at the beginning of the year or at the end of last year, I was, I was thinking about raising my rates because I had a ton of work coming in. I couldn't figure out, you know, which ones to keep and which ones not to. Um, and it seemed like, you know, raising my rate was probably a good idea just so that some people would just self-select and not spend my time trying to figure out what they needed if I wasn't going to be able to take the work. And so, um, they, uh, I think it was Eric that recommended it, but he basically said, you know, with you, with your clients, including your current clients, just let them know on this date, I'm raising my rate to this amount. And, you know, it's, it's funny because most people don't think about, oh, this is, uh, this is just one freelancer who obviously can raise his rates or not raise his rates when he wants. So I can actually negotiate. Well, can you, can you not raise it for a few weeks so that I can get the lower rate or, or things like that? I mean, most people aren't thinking about that and so when you when you tell them this is the price starting this date um, you know most people are they just kind of go with it and and that was some some terrific advice that I got there and it actually worked out well because I had I had one um, one client that I, I went to and said that and he just he kind of said well we don't want to pay more but we will and uh, you know that that was about it and you know because they're they're happy to keep paying me they want me to keep working on their application they're they're thrilled with what i get done and the speed with which i get it done but you know obviously you know they they don't want to pay more if they don't have to and so i mean that was really the only response that i got and everybody else was like okay and so you know it it really is you know having this mind share that really pays off in a lot of ways so Mm -hmm. um, with that, I am over my time and I have to get off. So we'll wrap this up really quickly. Um, thanks to Dave and JT for filling in for Evan. Happy to be here. I'm confident we did not fill his shoes adequately, but we were happy to be here. Yeah. And, um, a few other things we are in iTunes. So go to iTunes. Um, you know, you can just do a search for Ruby freelancers. We, we come up, um, and, and leave us a review, uh, leave us a rating. Five star ratings are, are, you know, appreciated, but you know, rate us where you think we're at. And, um, one other thing that I just want to let folks know is that I have been working on a, a membership site where you actually can collaborate with other freelancers, get feedback. Um, I'm going to put some videos up on different tools and things that you can use and stuff like that. And I want to let you know that I'm going to be launching that by the end of the month. And so if you want to get, um, if you want to get information on that, uh, go to the website. There's a place to sign up. Just put your email address in, and I'll be putting out announcements as, as I get this going. And um, 
you know, it's really something that um, I was wishing I'd had before I linked up with um, Eric and these guys, Eric and Jeff and Evan. Um, but, you know, I want to make it easy for people to find. So um, anyway, go ahead and uh, go to rubyfreelancers.com and uh, and set that up. Um, also, I want to give a quick second to Dave and JT to let folks know where to find them at Slide Rule Labs. SlideRuleLabs.com. All right. And uh, Eric, if people want to hire you, where do they find you? LittleStreamSoftware.com. All right. And uh, Jeff? AzikLabs.com. A-I-S-S-A-C. Since there's a lot of confusion about how to pronounce it. You need a new domain name. I know. I'll, I changed I'll, it already. I'll talk with you. I'll talk with you offline. Field uh, dressing a buffalo? I use, <laughs> I, 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 on, I can get you that domain on the cheap. Right. Uh, my first business name was Shalane Software, and nobody could spell it if they heard it. And my first it, was The Q. Oh, that's worse. Yes, See, and I was going to change it to Agilitum, but that's even worse. Yeah. It's, naming sucks, and Chuck's going to go. Sucks. But <laughs> yeah, you need to have a name that if they see it, they can pronounce it, and more importantly, if they hear it, they can type it into a web browser. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.